Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "Born Again" from our series "From Ashes to Easter." Amen. If you have your Bible, John three is where I'm looking today. Very familiar ground, and I'll move quickly. John the third chapter. We're walking through the Gospel of John, pulling out different scenes as we. This, this Lenten journey together. We began in John 13 with the servant king. And we saw how Jesus prepared his disciples for the cross by washing their feet and humbling their hearts their last night together. Last week we looked at the not so good Samaritan, not the one by the road, the one by the well, the woman that Jesus met there and challenged and offered salvation and satisfaction by a relationship with himself. And this morning, we flip back one chapter to John 3, and we find the guy that is the total opposite of this woman in every way, a man named Nicodemus. You find him in John 3, verse 1. If you found it, say amen. Look with me. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? May God bless his word and his people said, Amen. I want to talk to you today about three big questions I think that pop up from this text. Three questions we have to get right in order to understand what Jesus is saying to us in this passage and what he'd have us understand on this way to the cross. And they're big questions that matter deeply to each one of us. The first one is this. The first question comes down to the matter of are you religious or are you redeemed? Religious or redeemed? Say that with me. Religious or redeemed, because there's a big difference in those two. And it's the difference of 18 inches from your head to your heart, and it's the difference from heaven to hell. Amen? There's a big difference between religious and redeemed. Verse 1 says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's a loaded statement. Let's pick it apart just a little bit today. As we saw last week, Nicodemus is the complete opposite of the woman at the well in almost every way. He's a man. She's a woman. That's pretty obvious. He's well-known and adored. She is unnamed but despised. He is an observant Jew she is a nominal Samaritan who doesn't even worship at the right place and probably doesn't worship often. He comes to Jesus looking for answers. Jesus comes looking for her. He shows up at night. She is encountering him at noonday by the well. The Samaritan woman is a foil to Nicodemus, an opposite. It is John lays these two people beside each other in the book to point out how different they are. Don't miss that. He does it again in John 12 with another man and another woman. And the man's name is Judas and the woman's name is Mary. And once again, the woman gets it and the men don't get it. And all the women said, amen. John, the first feminist, right? Yeah. 
There he is. I think what John is pointing out to us is this simple reality. The people who ought to get it often don't. And the people who are often the last for you to expect to come to the feet of Jesus are often the first to be found there. Amen. There is this reversal that happens in the kingdom of God. The first are last and the last are first. And the top are the bottom and the bottom are the top. And it starts at the beginning of the gospel when Mary says, he says he has put down the, the, those from their thrones and he's exalted the lowly, but he's put down the mighty from their throne. This great reversal. Jesus said it would happen. Amen. He stepped up in the Sermon on the Mount and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The meek inherit the earth. Those on the bottom will be the ones on the top. Jesus showed us that in John 13, that the God who comes from heaven washes the feet of the disciples. He takes the lowest place, and God exalts him to the highest place. Amen? So he's the opposite in every way. If anybody should have been a shoe-in to the kingdom of God, it was this man named Nicodemus. You can imagine the disciples saying when Nick arrived for evening coffee that night, Now Jesus, this man would be a real addition to our, to our ranks. Don't mess this up. You've got a good fish on the line now. Don't mess it up. This man really needs to become part of our movement. He would give credibility to our movement. He would probably contribute financially to our movement. And Lord knows we need a little more of that around here, Judas would say. Here Nicodemus comes, a perfect candidate to be one of the disciples of Jesus, it looks like, on the outside. And he comes to Jesus, and he really is tops in almost every way. He's tops, he's a prime candidate, religiously, say religiously. The Bible says he's a man of the Pharisees. Did you notice that? He is a Pharisee. Now that is a religious title. In Jesus' day, there were two main religious groups in Israel. There's this little group of weirdos called the Essenes that live way outside of town in their own commune. We won't talk about them. They would be the third group, right? You have a group of zealots who are just trying to take over the government. We won't talk about them either. Those are the fringe groups. Say weirdos. Yeah, those are the two weirdo groups, okay? Then you've got the two normal groups that we'll talk about. They comprised most of Israel's population. You were either a Pharisee or a Sadducee. That was the two groups that you were listening to or falling in line with. The Sadducees were the party of the priesthood of Israel. It was the religion of the elite people, the religion of people who had money and power. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. Most importantly, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They thought when you were dead, you were just dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Yeah. Sorry, it's a preacher thing. We love corny jokes. That's why my wife married me, for the jokes, right? Yeah. The Pharisees, on the other hand, are the fundamentalists, okay? They're probably the Westboro Baptists of our day. These are the hardcore, hard-shell people who are standing out there on the sidelines going, we're right and everybody else is wrong and God likes us and he doesn't like you, right? <laughs> That's who they are. The Pharisees, uh, they weren't fair, you see. They felt like God loved them and nobody else. They were very strict. They were religiously observant. They would be like the most orthodox of Jewish people today. You know, the guys with the square beards and the yarmulkes and the, yeah, the funny dress, that would be them. That would be their tribe. Here they are, the Pharisees. They're fundamentalists. They're 
strict observant Jews. They scrupulously observe every minor rule, every minute regulation, every ritual and tradition of the law. In fact, not only do they require you to keep the law, they say that everybody ought to keep not only the laws for the common people, but everybody should keep the laws that the priesthood has to keep. If we would all live as holy as the priests, then maybe we wouldn't end up in exile again, and maybe God would send us the Messiah to get us out of trouble. So they require everybody to live like the priests are supposed to live. Not only that, they take it a step further than that, if that wasn't bad enough. They take it a step further. They add extra laws to God's law to make sure you don't break one of God's laws. So to make sure you don't break God's law, we're going to move the boundary back about three feet and we're going to make our own law that you better not break just to keep you away from God's law. Our fence is three feet from the property line and you better not cross our fence or you're in sin. That's how the way they felt about it. For instance, the Bible says... You should keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath day. Well, how do you know if you've done work? Well, it took three letters to write a Hebrew word. And so the Pharisee said you could carry enough ink on the end of a feather to write two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But if there was enough ink to write three letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you had written a whole word and you had done work on the Sabbath day and you had borne a burden. So you couldn't carry that much ink on the end of a feather pen. That was one of the rules of the Pharisees. You could gather eggs, but you could not eat an egg if the chicken laid it on the Sabbath day because the chicken did work and even your animals are supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. So you had to discard those eggs because they weren't unholy eggs. I guess they were deviled eggs. I don't know. Yeah, I'm here all day, folks. Sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine living in that kind of religious environment where not only are these the rules, but if you don't keep them, you are looked down upon and considered to be not part of the family of God, not part of the people of God, not accepted, ostracized, rejected, branded as someone who doesn't really love God or care for the things of God. This was the way things were in Jesus' day. You had the Sadducees who were the liberals and didn't believe right. Or you had the Pharisees who were so strict and legalistic that no one could measure up to their impossible standards. And into this walks a man named Jesus who comes and thanks be to God shows us a better way, a middle way, a third way. And Yes, we're going to believe the Bible, but no, we're not going to get off into legalism. There's a life of abundance and joy and peace to be had in walking in the way of God. And he shows us that way and becomes the door into that way. Amen? So here they are. Here they are. And so this man named Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees. So religiously, he is tops. He's trying his best. He believes the Bible and he's trying to live the Bible. He's doing his best. Number two, he's number one socially. He's on top of the heap socially. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. Say a ruler. He is one of the leading members of the community here. You see, the Romans were in charge as long as the priesthood didn't step over too far. So they allowed the priests to still run the temple. And they allowed the Jews to have their own little governing body called the Sanhedrin. It means 70. Sanhedrin is 70. They had 70 elders, 70 leaders, rulers, older men who'd been selected as the top leaders in Israel. And 
This man, Nicodemus, is one of those ruling elders. He's part of the upper echelon, the nobility, the nobility in Israel. He's a pillar of the community. He's respected by everyone. And he's on the top, number three, educationally. Say educationally. In verse 10, Jesus refers to this man as the teacher of Israel. He says that to him. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know the things that I'm telling you, Nicodemus? He is obviously a very educated man. He probably sat at the feet of the best rabbis and teachers of the law. He knew the Old Testament law, the Torah, inside and out. He was so knowledgeable, others would probably come to him as a leader in Israel to ask questions about what the book actually meant. He's very educated. He's very respected in the community. And yet, something is not right in his heart. Verse 2 says he comes to Jesus by night, and he starts by flattering Jesus. Rabbi, wow, that's good. You're a teacher. You're one of the leading teachers, Jesus. He calls him by that name. He honors him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Oh, wow, he's laying it on thick, isn't he? Not only are you a rabbi, God sent you to be a teacher. He says, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. You're a teacher, a rabbi come from God, God's with you. All these are flattering terms. And yet Jesus is not impressed. He cuts straight to the chase. He cuts straight through all of that and goes right to the heart of the matter for Nicodemus. He looks into his heart and knows that despite the fact that Nicodemus is on top religiously and socially and educationally, something's not right on the inside. Nicodemus is not part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus does not have peace with God. Nicodemus does not know that he is saved. He doesn't have the assurance of eternal life. And he comes to Jesus because even though everybody else would look at him and think he had arrived, Nicodemus knows that it isn't so. Something is not right. He doesn't have peace. And his last hope is that this man named Jesus might can give him some answers to the deep burning questions of his own life. How can I have peace with God? How can I have eternal life? How can I be right with God? How do I know for sure if I'm in the kingdom of God? Or if, I'm just, if I've just been elected by my fellow men. How do I know? I know people approve of me. How do I know if God approves of me or not? That's a big question. Amen? And Nicodemus wants an answer. And so Jesus cuts straight to the chase. And he says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus not, let's forget about being a member of the kingdom. You can't even see or understand what the kingdom is about until God does a supernatural work in your heart and you're born again by the Holy Spirit's power. Though Nicodemus beats around the bush, Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. He's lost. This respected man, this religious leader, this moral gentleman lacks eternal life and has no assurance. In my experience, there are a lot of people like Nicodemus in churches every Sunday that we meet and gather. It would not surprise me if there were not people like Nicodemus on the pews of the Forest Hill Church this morning. What do you mean a person like Nicodemus? Listen to me. Someone who was raised in the church is often harder to bring to faith in Christ than a stranger off the street. The hardest sinner to convert is a religious sinner. The hardest person to bring to faith in Jesus is someone who really can't see their need of Jesus or thinks they already have what they do not indeed possess. It's hard to get somebody saved when you can't get them lost, isn't it, Randy? And we've got people on pews who have looks like the flu shot. When you go to get the flu shot, they give you just a weak or dead form of the virus, and it's...
for you to react against it to keep you from getting the real thing. There are a lot of people on church pews who got a gospel vaccination. They got just enough of a taste of the gospel to react to it, and, but they didn't get the real disease. Their heart didn't really get changed. Oh, they cried a few tears and they felt a little conviction and they felt guilty and they came and and they prayed a little prayer and they signed a little card and they shook a preacher's hand and they went down a dry center and came up a wet center and we took them on the membership roll, but they've not been born again. There's been no change in their heart. The Holy Spirit has not performed the miracle of the new birth on the inside of them. And they're religious, but they're not redeemed. They're like Nicodemus in this passage. And I dare say America's churches are full of people like this. You cut your teeth on church pews. Your parents or grandparents were charter members in some of the leading holiness churches in Mobile County. You serve on our teams. You attend our group meetings. You go on mission trips and give in the offering. You are well thought of and respected by all. You have a good name in the community. You live a moral life. You dot the I's and cross the T's. You don't smoke, drink, dip, chew, or go with girls that do. On the outside, everything looks good. You're copacetic. Yet, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you're all alone, you don't have peace with God. And when you lay down at night, you don't have any assurance that your sins are forgiven or that you'd go to heaven if you died that night. Your name's not written in the book of life. You'd have no no confidence of right standing before a holy God. To put it in the words of Jesus, quite simply, you have not been born again. That's what Jesus would say. Hear me. So the question is, religious or redeemed? Say that with me. Religious or redeemed? Nicodemus misunderstands the question because there's a deeper word play going on here. And it is in that word, again. Say again. Because the question is, does it mean again or from above? There's a play on words here. Again or from above? What do you mean, preacher? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, you one Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. We've heard this verse so many times, it flies right over our heads. Here, pastor goes with the born-again Christian stuff. Got it. Bought the t-shirt and all about that. Not so fast. You see, Nicodemus thought he understood it too. But really, he was missing the whole point of what Jesus was saying to him. The word translated again in the phrase born again is a word with a double meaning. The Greek word is the word anothen. And the word anothen can either mean again or it can also mean from above. Now, which way does Jesus mean it? You must be born again or you must be born from above. Which way does he mean? What is the meaning that Jesus is driving at? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, Number one, one possibility is a second birth. Say a second birth. You have to be born again. This has to happen again. And that is what Nicodemus thought he heard Jesus saying. But he took it physically and not spiritually. Wait a minute, Jesus. I'm an old man. My mother's gone home to be with the Lord. I can't be born again as big as I am. I can't go back into my mother's womb as much as some of you would like to do that on Monday mornings, right? Yeah, if I could just go back, hide somewhere, I would love that. No, no, we can't. Nicodemus said, I can't be born again. 
I'm old. That's not a physical possibility for me. Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? But there was a communication breakdown. Nicodemus wasn't grasping the point Jesus was making. He was hearing, but he wasn't hearing. He was like the man who bragged about his new hearing aid to his best friend. He was talking about how wonderful it was and how clearly he could hear. And his friend said, wonderful, what kind is it? And he looked at his watch and said, it's 2.30. (laughs) He was hearing, but he wasn't hearing, right? Yeah. Some of you should turn yours up about now, right? The music's over. You can turn it back up. Amen. Jesus wasn't referring to a second physical birth, but a supernatural spiritual birth. Amen. Nicodemus, you must be, Nicodemus heard you must be born again. Jesus is probably saying you must be born from above. But the word play is lost on him here. In reality, John is using a play on words. He loves to do that. In John 1, you see it whenever he says the light shined in the darkness and the darkness couldn't master it. Do you mean couldn't understand it or couldn't overcome it? Neither one. John, you must be born ano thin. Wait a minute, John, do you mean again or do you mean from above? John says, yes, yes. It's not either or, it's both and. You must be born again from above. You must have a second birth. You're not born a Christian. Do you hear me? You're not born into the family of God. Yesterday we had a wonderful time at 2 o'clock when a family met us here at the altar and we dedicated their baby to the Lord. We anointed that baby with oil and we prayed God's blessing on that baby's life. We did not baptize that baby because we don't do that in the church of God. Why? Because baptism is the sign that you've believed on Jesus and repented of your sins and your baby hasn't done that yet. So pastor won't baptize your baby yet. I'll put some oil on him but I won't put any water on him. Amen? Why? Because I don't want you to misunderstand and I don't want them to misunderstand. You are not saved by water baptism. You are not saved by something the preacher did for you when you were six months old standing at an altar. You must be born again. There must be a moment in your life when your dead heart came alive and God's grace touched you and you believed on Jesus and received him for yourself as Lord and Savior. And if you've not had such a moment, you are not in the kingdom of God. You may be close to the kingdom. You may be sitting next to people in the kingdom but you are not in the kingdom until you've had your own encounter with God Jesus calls for a second birth even though Nicodemus was born a Jew that didn't guarantee him a place in the kingdom and even though you may be a fourth generation church of God kid your grandparents may have been pillars in the church it doesn't make you a Christian any more than parking in a garage makes you a car amen God doesn't have any grandchildren. He's only got children who've been born again into the family. It's a second birth, but it's a supernatural birth. Say supernatural. Jesus is calling for a supernatural birth. The only way into God's kingdom is to become a child of God. You can't earn your way. Say that with me. You can't earn your way. There's no way you can earn it. No matter how many rules you keep. No matter how many restrictions you observe. No matter how many good things you do. No matter how many bad things you stop doing. It won't make you a child of God. You can't earn your way. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. Say you can't buy it. You can't work your way, you can't buy your way, no matter how many teams you serve on, how many mission trips you take, no matter how many services you attend or how much money you give. Jesus says to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. That's the word. We must be born again. It is a second birth, it is a supernatural birth. Hear me today, verse 5 and 6. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. 
That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. You were born of the flesh the first time. You must be born a second time by the power of the Spirit to be part of the kingdom of God. We don't need another physical birth. We need a heavenly spiritual birth. How does it happen? Let me give you three things before we go home today. Number one, it happens by the, from the will of the Father. From the will of the Father. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in your conversion. Number one, the Father. Say the Father. The Father chose you. The Father chose you. The Bible says we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, that we might be blameless before Him in love. Amen? You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God chose you. God chose you. The Bible is full of that, clear of that. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you might bear much fruit. Listen, you must respond to the choice. But God had the first word. You didn't have the first word. Amen. Oh, I can get saved anytime I want to. No, you can't. No, you can't. The wind blows wherever it wills. And you are dead like a leaf on the side of the road. And you'll move when the wind moves you. Amen. You hear me? And you can't just decide whenever you want to to get saved. That's why you shouldn't put off getting saved. That's why if the Spirit of God speaks to you in a service and God convicts you of your sin and the Lord draws you to come and give your heart to Jesus, you ought to do it right then because what will happen is you'll walk out that back door and in a few minutes your mind will get on other things and your heart won't be thinking about spiritual things and you'll forget what you felt. You'll forget how you were moved. The conviction will wear off. You won't feel what you felt or sense what you sense but while you are here even though you're dead in your sin the spirit of God is moving and the wind of God is blowing and he's touching you and he's speaking to you and he's letting you know that you're not a Christian but you need to be that you need to give your heart to Jesus you need to invite Christ into your life to save you from sin and to be your Lord and master and while he's doing that and while you're feeling that you need to respond to the wind you see, you have to choose to be chosen. Say that with me. You have to choose to be chosen. God has picked you. God has cast his vote for you. Will you cast your vote for Jesus? God has gotten down on one knee and proposed to you. Will you accept the proposal? You're the bride of Christ. He took the initiative. He took all the first steps. He took every step but the one step that you must take, and that is to trust him and receive him into your heart and life. He took the first step from heaven and he took the last step to Calvary. But you've got to take the step of trusting him and receiving him today. It happens by the will of the Father. John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is not the will of any human. It is the will of God. God decided to preach the gospel and send the Spirit to move to waken dead people's hearts and bring them into the kingdom of God. And that's what happens. It ought to humble you today. It ought to humble you today. It ought to make you grateful today if you feel the presence of God. If you feel the conviction of God that you'd respond to that and not put it off to a more opportune time. Don't kick it down the road today. It is not something we achieve or perform. It's a gift we receive from the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's in this very chapter. 
God, Jesus says this to Nicodemus in this very conversation. It's from the will of the Father. God chose to send the Son and give him for your salvation. It happens by the work of the Spirit. Number two, say the Spirit. The Holy Spirit must do a work in our hearts. The wind blows where it wishes, verse 8 says. You hear the sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You may have walked in the door today, and the last thing on your mind was getting right with God. You may have come because somebody invited you or even dragged you here today. I don't know. Maybe they promised you a steak dinner for coming. Tell them to invite me to come with you. Amen? But hear me today. Whatever got you here, you came and you thought you were safe. And then all of a sudden, the choir began to sing and the Spirit began to move and the church began to worship and the preacher began to preach and now the Spirit of God has settled in over your life and you feel uncomfortable like there's a hand on your shoulder, there's a lump in your throat, there's a, a, an unsettledness in your heart and you know that something's not right and it needs to be changed. What are you going to do about that? The Holy Spirit is moving on you. He's touching you. The new birth is a work of the Spirit. It's a supernatural action performed in the heart by none other than God the Holy Ghost Himself. It doesn't come by being dedicated as a baby. It doesn't come by joining the church. It doesn't come by being baptized in water. The wind blows when it will and where it will. And all you have to do is respond by grace when the Spirit moves on your heart. Amen. How do I do that, Pastor? Through faith in the Son. Say the Son. The Father chose you, and the Spirit of God comes and draws you unto salvation. But it was the Lord Jesus who died for you and accomplished the work of salvation by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave on that third day morning. Verse 14 to 16, listen to how Jesus explains it to Nick. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the one part you have to play in salvation. You have to receive the gift. You have to cash the check. You have to open your heart and receive. The Bible tells the story in the Old Testament about the ancient Israelites. And in judgment for their sin, God allowed fiery serpents to come among them and bite them for their murmuring and complaining. Tell that story the next time your kids won't eat their green beans. Amen? Amen. You better look under the table. Amen. You ought to just poke them under the table and tell them, yep, that fiery serpent's coming for your complaining self. Yep. Better eat your green beans. Yeah. God brought judgment on them because of their sin, because of their ingratitude and their, their unwillingness to trust Him and obey Him. And so here they are, suffering because of their sin, the snake bite of judgment. They're dying, they're perishing, and in that moment they realize what they've done. They're made aware of their sin, and they cry out to God for mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. God, forgive us for our sin and our ingratitude and our lack of faith and obedience. And the Bible says the Lord had mercy, and the way he cured them was very interesting. God told Moses, I want you to, take, I want you to fashion a bronze serpent, and I want you to take that snake, and I want you to put it up on a pole, and I want you to lift it up in the sunlight. When the sun hit that thing, you could see it from every corner, shining like fire in, in, the, in the noonday sky. Here they are, and Moses gave instruction and said, all you have to do to be healed of your snake bite is look and live. Say, look and live. 
If you will lift your eyes from your problem, if you will stop looking to other sources of help, if you will stop looking at your own self for help, if you'll stop looking at your neighbor, if you'll lift up your eyes and look at the serpent on the pole, if you will see your snake bite nailed to that pole, if you'll look, God will count that as faith in his provision and he'll forgive you of your sin and you can, be, you can live and be healed from your deadly disease. And Jesus said, in the same way that Moses did that, not too many days from now, Jesus told them, your sin, the judgment for your sin is going to be nailed and it's going to be lifted up and anybody who will turn away from sin and turn away from self and turn away from other substitute saviors and look to that cross and believe that my death was in your place and put their hope and trust in me and turn from sin and start following me I will forgive them and they can be saved from the snake bite of sin they can be delivered from the judgment on their sin they don't have to die in sin and go to hell they can look and live. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Where? On the cross. So that we can trust in Jesus' death and resurrection and be saved from our sin and set free. Faith in the Son. Everyone who looked lived. This is what God did at Calvary. When we place our hope for forgiveness in Jesus, His death God declares us to be in the right. Our sins are forgiven. The Spirit of God applies the cross to our hearts and he also applies the resurrection. Your dead heart comes alive. Your spirit gets a new birth, an infusion of the very life of God. The Spirit of God brings the dead to life. Ephesians 2 and 1, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not interested to know if you've signed a card or been baptized or joined a church. I'm not interested to know if you prayed a prayer or cried some tears. I want to know, have you been raised from the dead? That's what I'm preaching about today. Has your dead heart been resurrected? Has the Spirit of God come in and breathed life into you and given you a new heart and a new life? The last question that Jesus asked basically is this. Is it going to be the night or the light? Say that with me. The night or the light? Jesus closes the passage by saying this in verse 19. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may clearly be seen that they've been done in God. Believe it or not, Jesus says that most people choose to reject the drawing of God's Spirit. Most people who hear the gospel don't respond by faith and trust in Jesus. They turn away. They walk off. They say, nope, I'm not willing to receive the gift. I'm not going to open the package. I'm not going to take the pardon or cash the check. Hear me today. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's interesting. Isn't it interesting? In verse 2, the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus isn't talking just about the clock. John's telling you something about Nicodemus. He's in the dark. He's not saved. He's not living or walking in the light. When Judas made his final decision to walk away from Jesus and betray him, John 13, 30 says, Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. It wasn't just night on the clock. It was night in Judas's soul. There was no light. There was only darkness. I want to ask you today, are you living in the light, or are you living in the night? Where are you? 
Are you walking in the dark or are you living your life in the Lord Jesus today? John isn't just talking about the time of day. He's describing the spiritual condition. Despite all his religiosity and respectability, Nick is walking in the dark of his own sin. His outward actions are praiseworthy, but his heart, in his heart, he's a hypocrite. He's a phony. He's not telling the truth. Is that your heart today? On the outside, everyone would consider you a stand-up guy or an exemplary woman. But in your heart, you know the dark thoughts, the hidden motives, the impure desires, the sinful tendencies that lurk there. And Jesus says in order to enjoy the kingdom of God, you have to do two things. Number one, you've got to repent. Say repent. You've got to step into the light. Okay, You've got you've to come into the light. You have to repent. But he who does the truth comes to the light, verse 21 says. You've got to come to the light. Let Jesus shine his word into your heart. Open your eyes. Show you your sin. Willingly walk away from those sins and do a new life of obedience. And number two, you've got to remain. Say remain. Remain in the light. First John 1, 7, verse 5 and 7, he says this. This is the message. God is light and there's no darkness at all in him. If we say we have fellowship with God but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You've got to come to the light and you've got to walk in the light. You have to repent and remain. That's what Jesus says. Stand with me all over God's house. Chad, come help me today. You see, this is the evidence of the new birth. How do I know if I'm born again? Well, let me ask you. Have you walked out of the darkness and are you remaining in the light? What's your life like? Just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to come. I know the hour is lingering on, but I'm going to ask as many as can. If you hang in here with me for a moment, I would hate for you to distract your neighbor in a moment when the Spirit of God is moving. And I know you wouldn't want to be such a distraction to anyone that God is calling to salvation today. Paul told the Ephesians in Acts 20, I haven't held anything back from you. I've told you everything you need to know, and I've preached it publicly and from house to house. Two things. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Repent and believe. How does one become a Christian? Repent of your sin. Admit it. Come before God and say, God, I'm acknowledging my sin. I'm a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I've sinned against you by what I've done and what I've left undone. Thought, word, and deed. Now, some of you in the room who've lived outside the church, that might be easy for you. But for some of you, like Nicodemus, who grew up in the church, it might be hard for you to believe But can I tell you today that Jesus says every time you've been angry with your brother without cause, that's murder in your heart. And every time you've looked at someone who was not your spouse with longing, lustful eyes, that was adultery in your heart. You hear me? And so while you may not have been brave enough or bold enough to act on the outside, if you'd be honest about your own heart, you know that you've sinned on the inside. You've sinned in thought, word, and deed by what you've done and by what you've left undone. What do you mean what I've left undone? It's not only what you do that's sin. Sometimes it's what you fail to do that's sin. You know the Bible says that if you know to do good and don't do it, that that's sin. Have you ever known to do something and you didn't do it? Well, then you've sinned against God. You've broken God's commandments. If I were to walk you through the Ten Commandments today the way Jesus describes them, I don't believe there's a person in the room. I know there's not a person in the room. Your preacher included who'd pass that test. Have you always put God first? Have you ever, have you never tried to substitute for God with some kind of idol and reach for something other than Him for satisfaction? Have you never misused the name of God or taken it in vain? Have you always honored the Lord's day and kept it holy? Really? 
Have you always honored your father and mother? Let me call them and ask them for a minute. They'd like five minutes for rebuttal. Your mom and daddy could preach everybody in here under conviction, couldn't they? They know better. Yeah. Number six, I've never killed anybody. Have you hated anybody? Jesus said it's hate is just junior murder. It's murder in your heart. I've never committed adultery. Well, maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Have you ever lusted in your heart? I've never stolen anything. You can steal more than property. You ever stolen somebody's reputation by your gossiping tongue? Mm-hmm. It's quiet in the hole in this church. You ever borne false witness against your neighbor? You ever told a lie? Don't tell one now. If you shake your head, no, you just told one. In church. Number 10, have you ever coveted or wanted what didn't belong to you and thought you deserved it more than they did? Some of you did that on the way to church when you passed somebody's car. Come on, church. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift, say the gift. But the gift of God that you can't earn or deserve or work for or buy or do enough to get. The gift of God. For God so loved the world that He gave the gift of His Son that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. So what do you do? Jesus said, walk out of your dark. Come into the light. Repent of your sin. Remain in the light. Live with me. Let my spirit come. Put your faith in the cross. Let me do a work in your heart. Let me give you a new birth. Let me resurrect your dead heart. Let me give you new life on the inside. Repent and believe the gospel. Look and live. Jesus is the only Savior from the snake bite of sin. Step out of the dark into the light. Respond to the call of the Spirit through the Word of God today. You see, in a miracle that I don't quite understand, right, David? A preacher steps up and takes his book, and he preaches, and he does what he can do. But unless God shows up and does what the preacher can't do, nothing happens. But somehow God takes the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching, I've heard some of that too, but the foolishness of preaching... He takes the ineptitude and the weakness of a man with an old book stepping up, proclaiming the message of the gospel. And the Spirit of God takes that word and does something in the hearts and lives of people who hear it. The Spirit of God convicts you and convinces you of your sin. But He doesn't leave you there. Oh, thank God. The second thing the Spirit of God does is He creates faith in your heart. He gives you the faith to believe that not only are you a sinner, but that there is a Savior. And that you can be saved. And that He'll save you if you'll just trust Him and believe on Him. So I'm asking you today, is the Spirit of God leading you to a new birth? How do you know? Has He convicted you of sin? Has He found you guilty? Do you feel the weight in your heart that you're not right with God? Do you feel the weight of your own sin? Do you sense that you're not right with Him? That's the Spirit of God letting you know that. You didn't feel that before you walked in here. That's not your natural state. The Spirit of God is talking to you. Don't ignore the Holy Ghost. But not only is the Spirit of God telling you that you're a sinner, the Spirit of God is telling you there is only one Savior, and that Savior's name is the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you today, are you trusting in Him? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus? Have you looked to the cross to live? Is that you? Maybe you're here and you once walked with the Lord, but you're not walking in the light now. Walk in the light. If you say you are a child, you say you've been born again, but you walk in the darkness, you're a liar, the Bible says. The truth, you're not practicing the truth. Live in the light. Oh, pastor, I prayed a prayer. I don't care how many prayers you prayed. I'm asking you, have you been born again? Has your dead heart come alive? Have you trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord? Every head bowed.
Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you and bless you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I ask this morning, in Jesus' name, that for these next few moments, Lord, every influence and spirit that is not of you would be bound in the strong name of Jesus. And that, Lord, the Spirit of God would be given the liberty to do his work and walk among these pews and to speak to hearts and lives today. Lord, I pray today that your word would do its work. I pray that you'd convict someone of sin and you would convince them that Jesus is their only Savior. And you'd create faith in their heart to believe you and trust you with the gospel. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This moment, I want to give you a chance to move. Chad is going to lead us in singing. And if you're here and you're not right with God and you need to be, I invite you to come. I invite you to come and kneel. I invite you to come and let us pray with you and lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we sing, if you're not born again, but the Spirit of God is calling and convicting and creating faith in your heart, respond this morning. Look, give. Look to Jesus and be saved. Don't wait. Come, confess your sin. Invite Jesus to save you. Surrender your life to him. He will meet you here this morning. Are you saved? Are you born again? You can be. You can be. The Spirit of God will do the work. Let's come. The altar's open. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at forcehillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forcehillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.